0: Alright, am I a bit loud? Is this a bit loud, everybody, or is this good? Good, alright. Well, uh, today uh, we're in the book of Exodus, like we have been, but we're gonna be starting a new series, and so for the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven. So we're gonna camp here for the next few weeks, just a couple of verses, we're gonna go through them slowly, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But let me start like this. Uh, Two nights ago, I was talking to Jude, my little one, my, my third born. And I was reading them a book before bed, and just like I always do with my kids, I read them a book before they go to bed at night. And uh, as we we're reading, out of the blue, a Jew just blurts out, Daddy, I believe in God. And uh, his, you know, of course his dad's a pastor, so this is music to my ears, you know. He says, Dad, Dad, I believe in God. And he says, you need, and you know what? I don't believe in Zeus. <laughs> They're studying Greek history now. So he says, no, I don't believe in Zeus because he's not real. And I said, great, that's awesome. And uh, it was a great moment there in in the bedroom there. Jude uh, answered uh, probably one of the most important questions in life. Is there a God? Does God exist? But I think there's a more important question than even that. I think there's a more important question because did did you know that, you know, there was a recent Pew uh, survey where they surveyed Americans about their beliefs about God and most Americans believe in God. Most Americans believe that God exists. I think four out of five Americans, 80% of Americans believe that there is a God, that there's some higher power. What I think is a more interesting question, what I think is a more important question is what is God like? What is God like? Who is God? I think this is the question in life. I've got a friend who calls himself agnostic, and, you know, he's sort of uh, is you know uh, you know God is unknowable. He's sort of undecided about this question about God, and he he always says he always says this to me. He says Brent, there may be a God, there may not be, but he says if there is a God, who's to say what this God is like? And he zeroed in on that question: What is God like? Who is God? I think this is the question: Is God cruel, or is God kind? Is God close up and personal, involved in our lives, or is he aloof and distant? Is God easygoing and and sort of nonchalant about our behavior, or is God strict? Is he a strict disciplinarian? Who is God? I think this is the, the question, because the way you answer this question determines your destiny. The way you answer this question, what is God like, who is God, sets you on a trajectory. It molds you. It shapes you into the person that you're becoming. And so A.W. Tozer, who's a theologian, in one of his books called The Knowledge of the Holy, says this, amazing quote. He says, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So we all have thoughts about God. Tozer says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because your view of God shapes you. Your understanding of God shapes you. It sets you on a trajectory. And so for you, if your God is cruel and hateful and angry, chances are you're gonna be cruel, hateful, and angry. If, God, if you view God as sort of a life coach, you know, who's there to meet all of your personal needs, chances are you might be a little bit narcissistic, right? If your God is uh, sort of nonchalant and laissez-faire about, about your behavior, chances are you might view that, your, your behavior that way. Your view of God shapes you. Tozer says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. And it's important because everybody has, like I said, a picture of God, and most of the time, our picture of God looks an awful lot like us, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, We sort of mold God into our image, I think, most of the time. Right, and so, uh, you know, you you might be here and you're thinking, of course, my God, you know, God votes Republican. Uh, Of course, you know, God is for gun control. Or, Or yes, of course, God is this way or that way. God tends to look a little bit like us. He loves all the people we love. He hates all the people we hate, right? We tend to mold God into our image. There's a, a, a New Testament professor named Scott McKnight, and he's, at the very beginning of each semester, he gives his students two surveys. The first survey, he asks them to describe themselves. He asks the student to de- describe themselves. What are they like? What's their personality like? And then the second survey, they, he, he asks the students to describe Jesus. What is Jesus like? And the professor said that in 90% of the cases, the answers to the surveys are exactly the same. <laughs> we tend to mold God into our image. Our thoughts about God tend to look a, a, an awful lot like us. And this is a problem because you know, a, a God who's sort of a figment of your imagination, a God who looks like you and believes like you and acts like you, can't change you really. This God can't contradict you or challenge you. It, this God can't confront you because this God is a reflection of you. And so what, who is God? What is God like? This is the question. We need to get this right. And so that's what we're gonna be doing over the next several weeks. We're gonna be asking the question, what is God like? And in order to do it, like I said, we're gonna be looking at Exodus 34, verses six and seven. And this passage is, I don't think there's a better passage to uncover what God is like. Because in this passage, what God does is He's, uh, he's talking to Moses, and He, he literally, uh, it's the one and only time in the Bible where God describes Himself to a human being. It's the one and only time in the Bible where God pulls back the curtain, where God opens up the door, and He says, Look, here's a window into what makes me tick, here, here is what I am like. And and in fact, for Jewish people, uh, this passage is hugely important for for the rabbis and and Jewish people in that ancient culture. They memorize this verse. And so uh, someone once called it the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Most of us know John 3.16. If you've been to a football game, you know John 3.16. Most of us have that memorized. For a Jewish person in the Old Testament, this was John 3.16. This was a verse that they memorized. They said it at every holiday. They, they recited it before they opened up the Torah. And in the synagogue, uh, every single uh, Saturday, they would recite this verse. Every good Jew had this memorized. And in fact, it is the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. So it, it, it's, a, it's a passage in the Bible that the authors of the Bible circle back to over and over and over again it's because this is ground zero for theology of God. This is the one and only time where God says, this is what I am like. This is who I am. And the, the rabbis called it the 13 medot, or the 13 attributes of mercy, because they delineated from this passage 13 things that God says about himself. The 13 medot, these are 13 characteristics that God says, this is me, this is exactly what I'm like. And so we're gonna spend the next several weeks uh, uh, looking at this. We're just gonna go line by line. And we're, we're gonna be asking the question, what is God like? Who is this God that we worship? Right, you know, I would say that most of us believe in God or some higher power. The question is, what is this God like? That's what we're gonna be looking at for the next several weeks. And so my plan today is just to kind of get, do an overview of the passage. We're not gonna really get into it much. We're just gonna do an overview, and I'm gonna specifically look at the first part where God talks about his name. God has a name. God tells us his name. And uh, we're just gonna kind of camp on that, get a brief overview, and then we'll close. If you want a roadmap, here it is. We're gonna look at uh, Moses' request, and then we're gonna look at God's answer, and then we're we're gonna look at God's ultimate answer. So that's kind of where we're going. And so let's look at Moses' request here. Because this, uh, this statement, this amazing passage, is an answer to a request that, God ma- that Moses makes to God. And let's, let's kind of look at how that happens. So, um, you know, we've been looking at this for the last several weeks, and we've seen uh, the last several chapters, uh, Israel has sinned against God uh, by making a golden calf. They all bowed down to the golden calf. And then, uh, you know, God is angry, right? God's angry that they did this, so God wants to wipe them all out. God wants to destroy all of his people and just get rid of them. And then, uh, and then uh, Moses begins to argue with God and Lucas preached a great sermon last week on how Moses argued with God. And Moses says, God, don't destroy your people. Don't get rid of your people. You, got, this is, you, know, you promised that you would deliver your people. Don't get rid of them. And God changes his mind. And then we see here all the way through the passage that Moses has this unique relationship with God. God, Moses has this incredibly uh, close, unique relationship with the Lord where he would go out into the outside of the camp to a tent called the Tent of Meeting. And when Moses would go out there, it says in verse 33, verse 11, it says that uh, thus uh, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And so uh, Moses would go out to the tent of meeting and just chat with the Lord. And the people of Israel were just in awe of, in awe of this relationship. As Moses went out to that tent, the people of Israel would stand up in awe as, as he walked out there and he would go into the tent. They'd all sit down again, kind of like what we do during the scripture reading or maybe what you do during a football game, right? The, it's the fourth quarter, you know, and this play is going on. and Everybody stands up, you know, to see this amazing thing that's happening, this is what the people of Israel did as they watched Moses go out to speak with God in the tent as a man speaks to his friend. And here in, cha- in, verse, uh, in chapter 33, we get sort of a window into, we get to eavesdrop on one of uh, Moses' and God's conversations there in the tent. So, uh, you know, it kind of peels back the, you know, the curtain there. We get to peer in and eavesdrop on a little conversation that God is having with Moses And this is what in verse uh, 13 is uh, how the conversation starts. Moses says, Now therefore I have found favor in your sight. Please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And then skip down to verse 17. And then the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And then Moses says this. This is his request. Please show me your glory. So Moses looks at God and says, God, yeah, I know you, and I've been talking to you, and, and we have this relationship, but God, I want to really know you. I want to see your glory. Now, in the Old Testament, the word for glory is the Hebrew word kavod. Can we all say that out loud? Kavod. Uh, it's a really, really important word, and it, and it literally means heavy or weighty. And all the way through the Old Testament, God, we're, we're, we're hearing about God's glory, Or God's heaviness. It's sort of code for God's beauty and God's presence and God's essence, who God is. And so Moses says, God, I wanna see your kavod. I wanna see your glory. God, I really wanna know you. Yes, I've been talking to you as a man speaks to his friend. We don't know what that looked like, but Moses says, he presses in and he says, I wanna know you. I wanna see your glory. Now what Moses is asking for here is not head knowledge. He's not asking for more theological knowledge, he's not, ask, he's not asking God to you know, give him more information about himself. What Moses is asking for is experiential knowledge of God. There's a difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God and seeing his glory. And Moses doesn't want head knowledge, he wants to experience God himself. There's an old theologian, his name is uh, Jonathan Edwards, and he's, he's, he makes this, dis- dis- uh, he, makes the, he shows the difference. He says, there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious, and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. And he gives an example, and there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of his, its sweetness. So you, you could know that honey is sweet, you could know all about honey, but there's nothing like actually tasting it. And Moses is saying, I want to know you like, like it, what it's like to know the taste of Honey. And by the way, last week, I, was, I didn't preach last week, I was up there on the third floor, and I was speaking to some people after the service, and they were um, taking a trip to California. And they said, uh, what is, we've been to the East Coast, and we've seen the beach over there. What is the beach like on the West Coast? And so I started to describe the beach to them. You know, it's You know, there's probably more rocks on the West Coast than there are on the East Coast, and the current is stronger on the West Coast. The water is colder, the waves are bigger, the sand is brighter. It's just way better, isn't it, right? (laughs) I was describing it to to her, and then I just stopped, and I just thought, you know, you just got to go there. You really don't know the beach in California. You really don't know the Pacific Ocean unless you've experienced it. There's a difference between knowing about God and experiencing God. There's a difference between having theological knowledge and getting all the answers right on the Sunday school test and actually seeing God's glory. And Moses says, I want to see your glory. I want to know you. I, wanna, I want to experience you, God. That's Moses' request. Well, what's, how does God answer the request? God answers the request by, by telling Moses that he's gonna proclaim to him his, his name. He says, Moses, you actually can't see me. He says, because if I literally showed up and you literally saw me with your eyes, you would die. Moses is like, okay, forget that then, forget that. <laughs> but God says, I'll do, some, I'll, do, I'll do you one better. I'm gonna pass before you and I'm gonna proclaim to you my name. And so, Moses goes up on the top of Mount Sinai. God hides him in the cleft of a rock in sort of a little cave up there and God passes before him and it says there that God proclaimed to Moses his name. And that's, what, that's when we get to this amazing passage. I'll just read it here. This is what God is doing. 34, 6, and 7. When God describes himself, he's proclaiming to Moses his name. He's, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God gr- a merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. What's God doing there? God is proclaiming his name. In fact, that's how the little passage begins. The Lord, the Lord, this is God's name. What does it mean for God to proclaim his name then? Moses says, I wanna see your glory, and God says, okay, I'm gonna proclaim to you my name. What does it mean for God to proclaim his name? Is it like, you know, I can proclaim my name to you this morning. Brett. right? I proclaimed it right there. Did you like that? Uh, is this, what? no, she says. <laughs> what does it mean for God to proclaim his name? What does that mean? Well, in the ancient uh, Near Eastern culture, uh, names were incredibly important, Names were incredibly important. It wasn't just a label that you used, you know, to put on your credit card or something like that. Your name was sort of your essence and your character. Your name uh, really revealed something incredibly deep about you. And so there's one scholar, Michael Knowles, who puts it this way. In the world of the Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about a bearer's identity, origin, and birth, circumstances, or the divine purpose that the bearer was meant to fulfill. And so a person's name, it was sort of, it was, uh, it revealed something really essential about their character. A more modern author puts it this way, your name in the ancient world, your name was your identity, your destiny, the hidden truth in the marrow of your bones. It is the one word moniker for the truest thing about you, your inner essence. And so in the ancient world, you think about the names in the Bible, you know, every name means something. So Abraham, or Abram, his name was changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Right, that was a very positive thing. And then there was the name Jacob, which he was sort of a scoundrel, and his name meant heel catcher. And then there was Moses, whose name literally means drawn out, and he, and he drew God's people out of, out of slavery there in Egypt. And so in the ancient world, uh, words or, or names were incredibly important. They were meaningful, they were uh, revelatory. I know names are important now, you know, and I know it's important to every mom and dad in this room. I know you spent months going through that thick name book where all the names are lifted, listed in alphabetical order, you know, and you spent months, you know, throwing out names. What about Bertha? No, that's your aunt's name. I hate her, you know. <laughs> or, or what about John? No, that's too boring or whatever. Name, we know that names are important. But in the ancient world, names were incredibly important. Um... I've, I know a joke about names, and I just, I just need to tell you. It's, just, <laughs> it's a little preacher joke, but this, uh, it's, it's this lawyer. His name is Odd. And uh, the poor guy, everybody made fun of his name, and they called him Oddball, right, an odd guy or whatever. And so this lawyer, when it came time for him to write his will, he had very specific instructions. He had enough trouble with his name in his life. He didn't want it to follow him into his death. And so he says, on my tombstone, I want you to write, here lies an honest lawyer. But then when everybody walked by the tombstone in the graveyard after he had died, they said, they looked at it and they said, oh, that's odd. (laughs) Right? Names are important, but in the ancient world, names were incredibly important. They were your identity, your destiny, the hidden truth, and the marrow of your bones. And so what is God doing when he says, I'm gonna proclaim to you my name? He's saying, I'm gonna show you my essence. This is who I am. This is the hidden truth in the marrow of my being. This is my character. This is what I am like, my name. I'm gonna show it to you, Moses. Now I love this because God doesn't start describing himself the way we do. You know, I like to read theology, and some of you do too, and if you pick up a modern theology book in the West, what does it start with? It starts with almost a scientific description of God. The omnis. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. But when it comes for God to describe himself, he doesn't start there. And I believe all that stuff. But that's not where God starts when he wants to reveal himself. He starts with his essence, his character, his name. And it makes sense, doesn't it? And if if, if somebody asked me, could you describe Anita, your wife, and I to, to us, and I said, okay, well, she's 5'3", she's got curly brown hair, Latin American ancestry, 38 years old, I won't see her weight, but you know, if I just started describing her to you, my sense is that you'd probably stop me and say, no, 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 tell me what she's like, tell me about her. Is she type A or is she laid back? Is she introverted or extroverted? What's her? What is she passionate about? What made you fall in love with her? Tell us about her. And God is saying, I'm going to show you my name. I'm I'm going to tell you what I'm like, who I am. This is not a scientific description of God. This is a very personal description. And he begins and he says, the Lord, the Lord. Now, the word the Lord there, it's mentioned twice for emphasis. And uh, literally in Hebrew, it's the word, uh, can anybody guess what it might be? Hebrew word? Yahweh. Yahweh. It's Yahweh. This was not the first time Moses heard this name. Remember way back in in Exodus chapter three uh, when God tells Moses to go, uh, uh, you know, deliver his people from from, uh, Egypt, Moses says, well, who do I tell them sent you? And and God responds out of the bush, tell them Yahweh sent you. This is that exact same name. And in Hebrew, it's, it's essentially the word to be. It's the verb to be. It it's literally is the Hebrew word hayah, not in like karate, but hayah, it's, it's I am. Or you could literally translate it, I will be. I, I, and God says, I am who I am, or whatever I am, I will be. God says that same word again to Moses here. And then he lists all these character traits. This is who I am. And it's like God is saying, this is my name, this is who I am, this is my essence, and I will always be this way. I am slow to anger and I will always be slow to anger. I am compassionate and gracious and I will always be compassionate and gracious. I am am all these things and I will always be this way. You can bank on my name. It is unchanging. God is not fickle. God's character is what it is and it always will be that way. It was like that back then. It was like that in the time of Jesus and he is like that right now. This is God's unchangeable essence, his name. I wish I were like that. You know, you depending on my mood or what my circumstances are in life, you may get a very, I'm nice probably 80% of the time. Staff, Lucas, would you say that? Not on Monday morning, though. I'm a little grumpy. You know, I can waver. I can go up and down. But God is always this way. God's name, God's character, God's essence is unchangeable. This is who I am, he tells to Moses. And then he, he, notice it's a personal name. It says here, the Lord, the Lord, but like I said, literally in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Yahweh. This is God's personal name. You know, what's interesting is in the Bible, the people of Israel hardly ever call God by the generic word God. They always call him by his name, Yahweh. Yahweh. And that, again, that makes sense. That This is very personal. If you have, it's like me calling Anita the wife. You know, I don't call her the wife. That's her title. That's what she is. But I call her Anita. And God says, this is how I want you to know me. I don't want you to just know about me. I don't just want you to know some information. I don't want you just to believe that I exist out there. I want you to know my name. I want you to know who I am. This is the way I want to relate to you. You can address me. I'm not hidden. I'm not out there and unknowable. I am pulling back the curtain, and I want you to call me by my name, he says to Moses. And then he begins to list all these character traits. God says, this is who I am. This describes me. This is my character. This is my essence. So that's, we've seen Moses' request. This is God's response. He says, okay, you want to know me? You can. I want you to know me. God pulls back the curtain. But but God's ultimate response here, we're just gonna shoot ahead real quick here before I end. God's ultimate uh, response to this question, show me your glory, is answered in Jesus. Thousands of years later, Jesus Christ is born into the world and what we have in Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God's name. This is who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is God's name, God's character in human flesh. In John one, there's a little uh, passage there, where it says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Then John goes on, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is in the, at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now what you can't see in the English here is that uh, when it says that, that Jesus came and revealed God's glory, do you know what the word is? It's the word kavod. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God's kavod, his glory, his name. And the Exodus language is all over here. He dwelt among us. That literally is the word he tabernacled among us, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth is compassionate and gracious. It's a translation of the same Hebrew words in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. And so what John is saying is that Jesus Christ is is the embodiment of Yahweh, God's kavod, God's glory in human flesh. Jesus Christ is God with a loudspeaker, telling us, I want you to know me. I'm not hidden, I'm not, you know, out there somewhere. I am the God who wants to be known. And this is the story of the Bible. The the, the Bible's not a story about you. I hate to break it to you. (laughs) Or about me. The Bible's not really a story about us, you know, some tips to live our lives. The Bible is a story ultimately about God. And about how God wants to reveal himself to us. It's a story about God saying, I want you to know me. And Jesus Christ is God in human flesh saying, come on, here I am. I invite you to have a relationship with me. So Jesus Christ is a visceral, tangible, clear embodiment of the name of God. And so this is the introduction to the passage. Moses says, I want to know you, God. And God said, I've been just waiting for you to ask me that question. And he pulls back the curtain, and he lets Moses in, and he says, I invite you to have a relationship with me. And ultimately, it culminates in sending his own son into the world for us to know God. Well, let me apply this for just a few minutes before we're done If God invites us in, here's the question I want you to just ponder this week. Have you accepted his invitation? You know, I think I could say this without fear of contradiction, the purpose of your life is to know your creator. There's a lot of things you do in life. You raise kids, you have jobs, you make money, you live in houses, you do all these things. But beyond all of those things, the point of your life, the point of the Bible is that you, God invites you to know him. Have you accepted his invitation? Are you accepting his invitation? We've got a, some friends, um, they do homeschool and they become really good friends and my oldest is, is a really good friend of the daughter of this family, her name is Abby. And uh, Samuel and Abby, they're really good friends, and the other night, I went with Anita to their home, and, and Samuel and Abby went out to a tree, they climbed the tree, and Abby sat on, on the branch, kind of at the trunk, and Samuel went out and sat on the branch. And they sat, and they just talked to each other for like 15 minutes. And I don't know what they were talking about, Star Wars, Legos, I have no clue, but they just chatted. And I, and I said, Anita, did you, did you see that? And she said, oh yeah, they do that every, every time. They're friends. They're chatting together. And God says, this is the way I want to relate with you. God says, I know you already. I already know your name. I want you to know my name. I want to speak to you as a person speaks to his, his or her friend. God says, I've opened up the door. I've pulled back the curtain. I've sent my son Jesus. I want you to know me. This is the point of your life. I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was a podcast on leadership and the guy was talking about networking. Networking and making friends and making connections, which is really important for leadership. And at one point he said, there is somebody here that needs to expand your connections. Somebody here that needs to expand your connections. You need to get to know somebody. And he says, if you show me who you listen to, I will show you who you are becoming. And then he says, You may be one relationship away from changing the course of your destiny. And he was talking about networking. And I think this is true on the horizontal. You may be one relationship away from changing your destiny. My sense is that that's probably hyperbole. <laughs> I don't know. But listen, there is a relationship. There is one core relationship that will change your destiny. And it is your connection with your creator. God says, I've built you to know me. And I've opened the door. This is the story of the Bible. I've opened the door for you to come in and get to know my character that doesn't change. I want you to know my name. And this is the one connection. This is the one relationship that will shape your life forever. And I think a lot of us are pursuing lots of things. A lot of us are pursuing jobs and career success. And that's really important and a lot of us are pursuing family relationships to raise good kids, and that's important. And we're pursuing, you know, maybe a higher income bracket, and that, I'm sure that's important. But there is one thing there's one thing that is more important than anything else in your life. And it leads to uh, change in every other area of life. And it is your connection with your Creator. God wants you to know Him by name. And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna get to know him. Uh, we'll, we'll, and, and I hope that we can pray together that God would, uh, would help us, that God would just take off the veil that's on our eyes and just give us a glimpse into who God is so that we could know him better. We're gonna, here's the roadmap. We're gonna go through the, this passage verse by verse, and we're gonna look at the way God describes himself. We're gonna let God tell us his name. And, we'll, and, and hopefully we'll get to know him a little bit better. So let's Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And God, thank you that you've given us this book, this story, a story, the story of the Bible that is ultimately a story about you. And about how you have created us to live in relationship with you, to know you, to know your name. God, you are not a far-off deity, some force out there thinking about your thoughts Lord, you are the God who reveals yourself ultimately in Jesus so that we could know you. And Father, I pray that we as a church family, that we as individuals, God, that we, that we over the, ne- the course of the next few weeks, that we would get to know you. Father, that we might be a people that know your name and speak to you as a man speaks to his friend. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.